news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Hello, Brendan here with MarkVetGurus.com, episode 193, Friday. Friday, as always, the 11th of June. Not always, 2021, episode 193. And apologies for Mr. Intro Man. He was a little bit late in, in coming in there and um, it's been a bit slack lately and I think it's a bit of a little glitch with our recording um, software, but... Um, Probably nobody's noticed it because they may fast forward over the first 15 seconds or 30 seconds anyway. Mark, how are you? I am great, Brendan. Outstanding at the moment. I've got to quickly tell you that um, from my end, you know that our uh, podcasting software doesn't give me the the music. I hear it. I used to hear it, but now I don't. And it reminds me of those, you know, those um, uh, uh, videos where they take the music out of a uh, um, sound out of a music video, and and they just have the scuff and the. I think there's a David Bowie one and a Bruno Mars one. I see you on the t- on the screen in the same yes. vein. <laughs> no music, yes. just your dancing along. Yes, you do. And and for our listeners who don't realise, we we sort of had a video video of each other as we're recording, um, which has only been sort of in the podcast um, program for the last 10 or 15 um, episodes. But it does help, doesn't it? Because we can see the visual cues of when to shut up and when not to shut up. It still doesn't stop me putting myself on mute too too um, many times more than I should, Mark, but yes. Um, so it's been very cold down here, Mark, in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, and we've got lots of horrible um, wind forecast over the next day or two. And I suppose for, for those listeners in the Northern Hemisphere, it, um, they probably don't think that it's winter down here, and it is. It's winter down here. We're, we're certainly in the depths of winter here, and we've had some lots of cold days here. I don't know about you up in your tropical um, paradise there in Newcastle, Mark. Has it been a little bit chilly up your way or not? We have had a bit of a, a southerly blast. The wind's blown up, collected some of that cold from your part of the world and and uh, deposited it around us. Um, so, yeah, we have had the temperatures locally sink down into the single-digit centigrade sort of numbers. The the um, uh, I think we got down to three degrees Celsius um, and... Uh, and my weather app tells me we might even get some snow around some of the higher spots up here um, over the next um, few days. So, yeah, it's chilly. But that's okay. Yeah. You've got to have the full cycle, the, the ups and downs, the cold and the hot. It gets boring. Yes, it's I all one that's, way. That's the beauty of um, ver- places where you have variable weather, Mark, and I think um, – that's potentially a disadvantage, although most people would say it isn't, of, of living in some of these um, places where people go to retire, Mark, where the weather's the same every day, all day, every day. And the people heading past on their little golf carts are the same every day <laughs> as well. So um, to me, Mark, that would be my worst nightmare, retiring <laughs> to some place like that. Although I do like playing golf, although I haven't played golf in about, I reckon the last time I played was with my brother-in-law probably 10 years ago. Kate has just it? taken it up. Kate literally ah, has just started playing it. golf. 
We'll have to play one day. Kate will, will smash me on the on the course, but um, yeah, I think it's a um, it's a relaxing game. It's good. You, it gets you out and around, and and um, you've just got to control your temper. I think when you're playing, <laughs> um, it's a bit of a mind game. Um, but yeah, we used to have great fun. We used to actually I, the first two or three years after I graduated, we, there was a group of of about six of us who used to um, once a week or once a fortnight um, vets who, who would catch up and just go to some of the country golf courses around Victoria and we'd it'd just be a method of catching up and we'd all play a round of golf and, and visit a little bit of these out-of-the-way country towns. It was fantastic. Then we'd end up at the pub at, after the um, after the golf um, round. It was a it was a great, great little um, gig, Mark. I, I've I've only ever played on those um, uh, driving ranges on the Gold Coast with the um, you know electronic measuring uh, radar guns that tell you how hard and fast you mini play. golf you mean <laughs> mini <laughs> golf <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yes well there you go there's a little bit of background um uh, gee, I'm amazed I'm jumping between subjects here Mark I'm amazed at what distance some people travel to to see see us mark and i'm quite humbled and surprised at that i had a, one of my um fairly recent um rabbit clients um traveled from way almost down from um wilson's promontory which is where you know is um probably two two and a half hours drive um down halfway down the coast and i think they came from a um almost the most one of the most um Southerly points in Victoria, Cape Lip Trap, Mark. Um, you may have heard it. Um, that's where they live. This little, there's a big lighthouse there because it's um, often a place where um, I think there's been shipwrecks there. And um, yeah, they travelled probably past 200 vet clinics to get to us to bring their their rabbit, which had guess what, dental disease. Um, and uh, we tried to time it so we'd treat the rabbit um, first up in the day, um, so that could then spend their two and a half hours drive back home as well but um yeah it's um you know if you build it they will come you know i think that's the the beauty of um dealing with unusual pets and 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 patients and cases that some of the other clinics just feel scared about dealing with mark and you know i mean where of the where of the vintage where we we still sort of tend to just have a go don't we at these things and um there's an increase in resistance or reluctance i suppose of of what happens with the new graduates and it's not a not trying to bag the new graduate i think it's a way that they're they're brought up and that they're taught with litigation etc that there's a there's a much lesser inclination for them to to pick up something that may be a challenge that they haven't done before that that they're they're reluctant to do it because they that they're worried that they might get pulled up before the vet board etc I think, it, and you, um, it's an interesting point because um, I've been talking to a few recent graduates or uh, final year students lately, and I get the the um, impression that it's a multifactorial thing that um, that there are um, uh, concerns. And I think the other thing is that there are, you know, when all those thousands of decades ago when you and I graduated, um, there weren't people to refer these things to. You had to give it a go or it wasn't going to happen, whereas so many of the more recent graduates have, uh, first of all, been, you know, 
talk to, like they'll have listened to to uh, to one of your famous um, lectures, Brendan, and so they know that there's people that know a lot about this, so uh, they're happier to refer. Um, they they uh, if if their client wants the best, they're happy to refer, and and people's expectations have changed too. I distinctly remember clients going, oh, you know, give it your best shot, and and you know, if it doesn't work, the 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 benefit will be that you'll be better next time. Um, they accepted that circumstance, whereas now the client is, you know, have you done ten of these? What's your success rate? Um, you know, which publications do you use? And then they'll download a Google article about uh, the the success of um, this particular procedure versus that particular procedure to solve this problem. But there is a lot more pressure on uh, those more recent graduates. The and and I, you and I've talked about this off air. I think we're rolling into like a little bit of a period of disruption where the the rules are going to change. Um, where um, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but those increasing pressures from the general public matched with the concern of recent graduates about the the risks of, of boards or litigation from clients, all those things are going to change the way um, uh, veterinary practice has to operate if we're to maintain animal welfare. So it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. We'll be long retired or off this planet um, when most of that happens, Mark, <laughs> um, perhaps. So um, we may be lucky in one respect with that. But, yeah, it's 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 difficult, Mark. Um, and, and I suppose the, the only advice I could give to, to graduates who go through that, especially if they're, you know, interested in unusual pets, for instance, and they're obviously seeing patients and conditions that they've never witnessed before or even... Um, even even heard about is to is to just be open with the clients and just tell them that hey this looks like I think it might be this condition and um, um, it has been reported in this animal and and like everything documented um, within the within the veterinary software program and and try and give them all the options possible um, which may include okay referring to a distant you know, Dr. Mark um, in Newcastle, because he's the one expert on this particular problem, um, even if it's many hours away, at least you've provided that option um, of, you know, this is this is the gold standard, this is the ideal, um, but but informing them that, hey, we, we you know, I, I haven't done one of these procedures before, um, but I, I think I'll be competent in doing it um, and being upfront and open about it. And I think not only do clients appreciate that, I think it'll also cover in your butt um, as well um, by doing that doing that process. And you've had a little bit of experience with these veterinary boards, Mark. Um, what, what are your <laughs> thoughts on that sort of um, attitude or process? Um, I think that the, the, it's a good question because I do think it's a, you know, as I was talking to you before, the, there is a big worry um, amongst new graduates about how the board will affect them. So I just got, I have on the tip of my tongue a couple of statistics that might help us appreciate that, Brendan. The first one is that um, I've been involved with uh, these boards uh, in New South Wales for uh 13 years. In that time, I will have gone through about 870 complaints. Um, I can tell you that about only about um, 15% of those complaints 
were a situation where the vet was found to have a case to answer. I can tell you that of that 15%, two-thirds of them were found to have problems that were uh, remedied by continued education or review of professional practice. That is, they weren't, you know, a significant um, uh, professional misconduct. So only one in 20 of the complaints was the uh, veterinarian found to have an issue with uh, professional conduct. And um, in that whole time, in the whole 13 years I've been involved with the New South Wales Board, only one veterinarian, um, there are 4,000 200 veterinarians registered in New South Wales at the moment. Only one has been has lost their registration um, as a result of uh, you know professional misconduct, criminal activity. So the risks of your uh, livelihood being taken by your board are remote. You really have to be doing something criminally wrong. And I'm sure you'll say the vast majority of those ones. Were um, of apart from that, that one were were um, lack of communication. Of course, you, and we all see that in our own practice, don't we? That the problems arise when uh, when communication falters momentarily, when the expectations of the client aren't matched by the expectations of the hospital, whether it's to do with money or outcomes about a procedure or whatever. You've nailed it in one that communication solves. 99% of the ones that are that are um of the of the ones that uh, turn up to the board. Excellent. Well, that was a very um prolonged intro and, <laughs> and bit of chit-chat for our podcast there, Mark. Um a couple of things before we get into our main topic. One is a plug for our 200th episode giveaway and and the the entries keep I was going to say flooding in, they're it's trickling in. They they constantly <laughs> They're constantly trickling in the um, the um, the entries, and all you need to do to enter for the giveaway, which is a, an amazing um, swag of prizes, which we'll go over again in a couple of episodes, is send an email to vetgurus at gmail.com, vetgurus at gmail.com, and just say hello and a little bit about yourself and where you're from and what you do, and um, you're entered. It's that simple. And if you do happen to win, we'll just draw a random winner. We will post the prize pack anywhere in the world. Um, so there we go. So that's our entry. And visit our website, vetgurus.com. Um, have a poke around there, look at our previous episodes and subscribe. That would be fantastic. Uh, I think we have a review. We need to review a piece of equipment, Mark. We'll do that next week. We'll see if we can pick something to review next week. And... Um, with that, I think we'll get on to our main topic, which is news. Um, we're going to try and knock over a few of these news um, stories that we've had piling up again, Mark. Um, many of these, thanks to our, our um, Research researchers. Yes, our research team, and um, thank you again, research team, for this. Um, and I'll take the first one, Mark. I, I love this one. Um, and I've tried to lump the news stories this week into good news stories um, to make it a positive, a bit of positive news, Mark, for our listeners. And this one's about Magawa. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it, or Magawa, um, is retiring. And Magawa, we'll call it call him or her Magala is a 
an African giant pouched rat, Mark. They're quite big, these. Have you seen these? I, I, I've seen pictures of them. I certainly haven't seen any um, up um, face-to-face. But um, So the story is, after five years, Mark, of sniffing out land mines and unexploded bombs in Cambodia, Magawa is retiring, and it has been the most successful rodent-trained rat um, by the Belgian non-profit Apopa um, to find landmines and it was pretty amazing. I I dug a little bit deeper than this particular story that we'll have a link to on our website Um, but this rat has cleared more than 141,000 square metres of land around about 20 soccer fields equivalent and has sniffed out 71 landmines and 38 items of unexploded ordnance, according to the group, Mark. And and for the first time, it won a British charity's top civilian award for animal bravery last year, an honour so far exclusively reserved for dogs. Although he's, he's still in good health, said a spokesperson, he's reached retirement age and is clearly starting to slow down. Well, he needs to retire <laughs> before he steps on something that he shouldn't. And oh. I went to the paper. Yeah, I went to the paper website, Mark, and they've got some videos of how they train these rats. It's quite an interesting process, um, and they're trained to, if they can, and it's due to their acute sense of smell. They smell the landmines, and and they are trained to stop for three seconds um, over a landmine and dig a little bit, um, just scratch it that uh, over the over the soil. I was, um, I was when, when they find one, and I was fascinated that they this species because you know dogs have a wonderful sense of smell, but um, the rodents were selected because their size allows them to walk across minefields without yes. triggering the explosives. Yes. Um, so, and I might have a link to that particular uh, non-profit organisation which um, uses detection rats um, worldwide. But um, the other thing I found fas- fascinating is they use for two main pros- um, 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 processes, these rats, um, these detection rats. It's not just for the landmines, but it's also for detecting TB in humans. So they train up a separate lot of these rats and they can quickly test human sputum samples much faster than humans um, can do via a lab technician. And according to their um, their sort of summary on their website is um, a TB detection rat can check 100 sputum samples for tuberculosis in as little as 20 minutes which would t- typically take a lab technician up to four days <laughs> um, to do. So, um, and they used to say, you know, positive reinforcement. And they had a couple of videos on how they train these detector rats. And they use clicker clickers initially, um, and, and and food rewards and that um, to, and then eventually that um, that just clicker rewards. And they just um, run across the, the the over the samples, and they're trained to stop for a few seconds if they um, can smell the TB in the sample, and then they pull out that sample. And, and double check via a technician under the microscope for the TB. Wow! Um, so pretty amazing, pretty amazing. So that is there a we good go, news Mark. Story, Brendan. And it's and a good it's, news story, and it's good that they um you know retire them to the ranch to the African pouched rat ranch where they can live those last two or three years of life in before they step on a. Unexploded bomb. Yes, <laughs> hopefully they've they've selected a race that's been cleared. <laughs> uh, yes, um, yeah. No, it's a, it's it's good news for them. And um, yeah, and, and well, the other the other thing I thought was good though. Um, I did 
poke around the website, as I said, the APOPA website. Um, what does APOPA have stand for? Um, oh, I couldn't work that out. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a. I think it's a Belgium-based um, right. non-profit um, organisation, um, um, and they call them hero rats. They have hero rats, and they also have hero dogs. So um, sometimes they use the dogs in conjunction, where the rats, the rats can't. Um, can only go in the um, small scrub, um, and if there's there's the more dense scrub, they have to send the dogs in there to do the sniffing out there as well. Um, but the breeding program for these hero rats um, is um, quite good because they occasionally um, safely, um, humanely capture some of the wild ones. So they've got a colony, um, and they occasionally um, capture some of these wild um, um, these. Um, I've gone blank. These wild um, what, giant giant pouch, pouched rats, um, and then introduce them into the um, population to get some gene diversity, and then they release them back out into the wild. Those ones they've well, caught. So you know they. So um, I, I quite like the fact that they, you know, they that the way they're doing things. Um, there. And I think so, it's yeah. There, it's, there we it, go. It fits neatly with um, like I am not. I I don't want animals to be used pointlessly for human benefit yes. but in this situation um, it's one of those good news stories where they're they're used and respected and um and and the benefit to humans isn't uh, just restricted to to humans they look after them as well my story brendan is about the um is about a macaw in rio de janeiro um uh and uh She's uh, developed the name of Juliet. Um, she is a free-roaming um, blue and gold macaw, and um, she visits the zoo every day to uh, to talk to the macaws that are held there. Um, and and it it's sort of um, sad on one level that she, the last time they had wild macaws in Rio de Janeiro was in. Um, Oh, over a century ago, and maybe she's a wanderer from the rainforest, or maybe she's a Avrius guppy, uh, but she's a wild bird and she's all on her own. Um, and so uh, she hasn't been able to breed, she hasn't been able to um, socialise or um, interact with a mate. Um, and so um, it's good at least that she has the opportunity to meet with some of her own kind, even if it is, you know, with them uh, stuck in a cage and her dancing around on the outside. Um, what do they call it? Um, conjugal canoodling, I think was the technical term in the article. Um, so um, they're not absolutely... Uh, certain, but they're pretty sure Juliet is a female, but uh, they haven't done any of the uh, appropriate genetic testing. Um, and uh, and so um, it's difficult to know what to do. Um, and so, you know, what's the right... Should they catch her and put her in the aviary with the others? Um, should they... Uh, um, uh, what, what's the right thing to do? Um, so I think at this stage, the general plan, there's a number of um, uh, locations now where they intend to raise birds that aren't uh, restricted to zoo-style aviaries but have much, much larger 
8,000 square metre, Avery. So they can build up flight skills um, and actually, um, you know, be reintroduced into the area. Um, so some of these chicks that have been uh, placed into these large flight Averys to be trained to fly into the wild, they'll probably start having um, slow releases um, and uh and hopefully it'll be the uh, opportunity for Juliet to meet up with some free-flying rewilded birds, um, and maybe we'll see um, uh, flocks of macaws coursing over Rio de Janeiro in the very near future, Brendan. That would be a good news story, wouldn't it, Juliet flying off into the sunset to nest with her... Palm tree sunset. Yes, yes, with her, with her little mate, free from, free from any wire. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It is a tricky one, and um, some good photos there of Juliet and some macaws there. Um, um, not quite as good as not quite as sharp as your picks, um, birds <laughs> there, Mark. Um, you've been do, do you have any um? Do you have any free flying macaws in in uh, Melbourne, Brendan? Well, not that I've seen, Mark. Have you? Do you have lots of them out for your way? Do you? There, there have is, you been doing a soft release? Have you? There is a particularly wealthy gentleman who lives on the central coast, which is about I don't know seventy, sixty, seventy kilometres from us, and he has a free flying flock of of macaws, um, which dances very delicately around some uh, um, some legal. Uh, aspects, um, and we have had uh, uh, obviously some Avery escapees. We've we've had a couple of times we've been called to grab macaws out of um, trees, but they obviously were exhausted by their, you know, they probably hadn't flown in the wild. These guys are recorded to fly thirty five kilometres a day at times, um, but these birds had obviously obviously not been not been keeping up their training end to end in the Avery, and once they got out, they were a bit exhausted. So, so what? Happen. And what have the authorities done about that? Have they? Are they? Did they just ignore it? About yeah, I think it's. Wild? I think. It, I think it's largely ignored at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, a good news story, Mark. And, and while you're um, talking about Juliet, there, I did look up what a popo stands for. It's an acronym, um, a Dutch acronym, um, which basically stands for anti-personnel landmine detection uh-huh. product development. Nice. Oh, there we go. There we go. Well, my next news story, Mark, is, well, it's a good news story, and, I, gee, I don't know whether it's any great hard science here, but it is a story about yawning, helping lions synchronise their group's movement. And there's certainly been a fair amount of study in humans about the um, about yawning and, and how it's contagious um, when you yawn and that um, they think um, one of the um, common themes about that is that if you yawn that it's a, a sign of empathy, um, that if somebody yawns and the ne- person next to you yawns then you're probably empathetic um, to, the, to the person who just yawned before you. Um, 
and vice versa. If if the, if you yawn and the person next to you on the plane doesn't yawn, um, that they probably hate your guts, Mark. So just remember that. <laughs> um, so this is about a group of lions um, that researchers were studying um, and looking at their yawning behaviour, and they discovered, and it was partially by chance because they they're actually studying play behaviour in hyenas in South Africa when they had the opportunity to watch the lions at the same time. And they noticed that lions were yawning quite frequently and concentrating the yawns in a very short period of time. And they, the, the, one of the researchers um, thought it reminded them of her work on contagious yawning in primates, Mark, um, that was socially linked, a bit like what I was talking about with humans. And they closely monitored the lions over um, four months in 2019 and they worked out that lions, if lions saw another member of the pride yawn, um, they were about 139 times, exactly 139 times as likely to yawn themselves within the next three minutes. But following on from that, um, lions that caught a yawn from another lion were 11 times as likely to mirror the movements of the original yawner than those that hadn't. So, for instance, if the if the original yawning lion yawned and then got up and moved around and, and lay down, then the other lion um, has a you know eleven times more chance that it's going to do that than not. Um, so they think it's in, in so contagious yawning um, is what they call that, and they think it's important for maintaining social cohesion, um, and it might also help with harmonising the groups and doing things like even. Even thinking about um, helping bond them um, better, the pride to to each other for for even hunting and things like that, Mark. So, what do you think about that? It's a you're probably going to say you it's a bit of a yawn. <laughs> I love it when you steal my dad jokes. Um, I was really interested in that article. Um, the the actual act of yawning. Um, what purpose does it serve um more generally because it's ubiquitous amongst vertebrates um and um and we suspect it changes blood flow to the skull may affect the rate at which the brain is cooled and those physiologic changes could uh, assist in aiding alertness um especially when transitioning in an avarest that's that makes a lot of sense to me Yes, yes, it's a it's an interesting article, but not well. I'm sort of hesitating then because I, I don't know. I call that some of these sort of um, studies soft science, Mark, is what I sort of um, um, mention with these. But um, <sighs> contagious yawning, it certainly happens in our family, Mark. I don't know about your your family, so maybe you are fairly well bonded. Um, well, in together. terms of in terms of the direction we're taking with these articles, I do see. Um, a trend to softer science. And my last article talks about, um, well, it talks about one of the uh, studies which um, which won an Ig Nobel Prize. I know that, um, that both you and I are avid uh, um, followers of the, uh, of the, um, the Journal of Doubtful Science. Improbable research, the Journal of Improbable Research, um, and um, and uh, and I do think it's uh, I don't know a useful thing for scientists to 
not take everything in life too seriously. And, uh, you know, from the lateral thinking that occurs when you approach a uh, maybe an unusual problem from an unusual, maybe slightly hilarious angle, that sometimes you do pop out with an unusual bit of um, new genuine science that can improve the way of the world. Anyway, this article talks about the nature of penguin pooping um and um it's quite well renowned that um the nature of penguin poop is well they eat fish they live in the ocean um the uh remains the protein uh, the the protein rich diet they're on lead to uh lots of um nitrogenous wastes so they produce lots of uh uh, urate-rich, pretty stinky poo. And so they've developed – I don't know that I agree with all the tenants. They've definitely developed a, a pretty good system for um, removing that horrible material um, from their their um, their vicinity. So they, they actually fire off a fairly significant uh, – um, elimination with some pressure, and some people have measured this pressure, um, maybe as much as, um, well, 28.2 kilopascals, um, uh, which drives that stool um, a good two or three body lengths away from the penguin, which obviously serves the purpose of uh, keeping the immediate vicinity of the penguin, and when, particularly when they're nesting, for example, um, it keeps them... Um, that area are relatively clean. The problem with penguins and nesting is that um, there's a whole bunch of other penguins just two or three body lengths away doing the same thing. So it ends up being a little bit redundant, I expect, because the whole place, and you know that I've been to a number of penguin rookeries in the Antarctic where this exact yes. thing happens. Um, and um, I don't know that it uh, actually works that well to drive the the you know, wastes away from uh, you know their own wastes are gone, but they're still surrounded by uh, um, uh, blasting poop jets from other penguins. Their nests are not tidy by any stretch, and uh, safety zones don't occur in penguin rookeries, in my experience, Brendan. Well, I was quite amazed at the um, they have a little diagram there with the. With the little equation there, don't they? Oh, it was quite cute uh, with that. Um, we'll link link to that article there. So you could have you could have got one that um, won that prize there, Mark. You could have been measuring the the poop when you're in Antarctica. Like I said, I, I admire people who can think laterally like that. I was right there and could have done it, and the thought I must admit did not cross my mind to write a paper about it. Oh, yes, poop bombs. Thank you, Mark. Um, I think that's a positive one, isn't it? Poop bombs. <laughs> More than four feet. Um, it is It is impressive, I must admit. It is impressive. Um, well, I think with that, Mark, we've caught up with a few news stories, probably not um, not quite as many as we wanted to. We could have um, – we we've probably only got another 20 or so that on the <laughs> backlog that we need to catch up with. Um and with that, I think Mr. Mr. Intro is about to start. And don't forget to send us an email, vetgurus at gmail.com, and send us um, a hello, and you'll be entered in the giveaway. And we will talk to you all next week.
Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thank you.